Chapter Ten of Sister Simon's Murder Case by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Ten. Sister Simon sat with the old scrapbook open on her lap. She was not looking at it. Her hand lay on the pastel clippings. Her eyes were unseeing upon the pillow where her tired head should have been resting for the past two hours. Her shoes stood side by side at the foot of the bed, but she still wore her black habit. Her mind was filled with what she had just read. "'It's all here, dear,' Sister Joe had said. And no doubt it was, if you knew what to make of it. Two tragedies, both accidental, had touched Danny Greer, changing the course of her life completely, and twenty years later Danny herself was murdered. In every life the present is somehow the harvest of the past. How often her policeman father used to say that. Was it possible that here, on these brown old pages, the planting of the deadly sea was recorded? I don't really want to know, Sister Simon thought, yet her eyes again sought the headline, Hunter accidentally shot near Beechwood Falls, brother missing. And underneath it, the smaller line, James MacArthur, fourth fatality of season. Somebody named Willis Lawrence had also disappeared on the same night Jim MacArthur was shot. The reporter ended with a remark about the awful toll of lives during the deer-hunting season. So impersonal in print, so hurtful personally to Elizabeth and Diane. And Danny? Out in the hall the telephone rang. The nun was instantly on her feet. In the daytime the ring would be a routine interruption, but at night it was the sharp rap of emergency. Sister Simon made such good time that she cut off the third ring. It was Poppy. Virginia hadn't come on duty. No one had seen her since sometime around six-thirty. Then she didn't come back? The nun asked needlessly. Back from where, sister? I met her at the door at a quarter to seven. She didn't say where she was going. Well, all we know is she took a telephone call intended for Lizette, and then she disappeared. I think you better call the police, sister. She's sure not to stay off of her own accord, not with that blueberry business coming up. I'll call Wakely. It was all Sister Simon could say, because the pounding of her heart was suffocating. She stood for a long minute, staring at the newel post, trying to get her breath. So she hadn't been mistaken about the fear in Jenny's eyes. The girl had been on her way to do something that frightened her to death. To death? Would there be another headline tomorrow or the next day? Body of missing girl found? Her trembling hands dropped the phone book, and she at last fumbled at Wakeley's number. He answered in a voice thick with sleep. If she's out on a date, wouldn't that explain it? Kids lose track of time. Not Virginia, and she was afraid. I saw her go. There was a short pause. When Wakeley's voice came again, it had snapped to attention. All right, sister, I'll get out a bulletin, and then I'll be over to the hospital. Give me a rundown on what she looks like, what she was wearing, anything that would help us spot her. The description, the nun knew, was the merest outside of Jenny. What had happened on the inside to make her disappear? Was it something concerning the call she had taken for Lizette? Was she still running, her lovely orchid dress billowing out, fleeing away from something, or toward some person or thing only she knew about? All the policemen and highway patrolmen and sheriff's deputies within two hundred miles, Wakely was saying, would be alerted. They'd find her. Don't worry. Thank you the sister said, and hurried back to her cell to put on her shoes. She was out in the hall again when she stopped, turned back, and took the old scrapbook from the bed where she had dropped it. 
Then, with it under her arm, she went noiselessly out of the convent and over to the hospital. Come to the visitor's waiting room on the first floor, she had told Wakeley. The room was dark and empty. Going on to the switchboard, she instructed Evie to call pediatrics and ask Poppy to come down. Okay, sister, Evie said, but she didn't reach for the plug. Her brown eyes were wide and frightened, and her midnight sandwich lay in the wax paper with one bite out of it. Sister, couldn't we maybe lock that front door at night? It's awful public. I mean, anybody can come in. I mean... There's nothing to be afraid of, Evie, the sister said. Danny Greer's death had no connection with us. Well, but where's Jenny? She'll be back. Now don't worry. The cops come in, though, ain't he? Sister Simon pressed her lips together, decided not to call Evie down for listening in on her telephone conversation, and answered briefly, Yes, he's coming. That darn ivy is what bothers me, that's what it is, Evie went on. We were talking about it this afternoon, and I was telling the kids how it swung. Sister, there it goes again. The delicate tendrils were swaying above the arch, but there was no sound of anyone entering, an eerie performance, indeed, if one were alone and watching. Don't be silly, Evie. It's Chief Wakeley, naturally. The sister said it firmly enough, but she was not totally without doubt herself until she came right to the door of the waiting room and saw the chiefs switching on a light. The good solid size of him was most heartening. Even in the self-containment of the convent, she thought as she seated herself on the brink of a settee, there was a certain dependence on the strength of a man. Wakeley was alert and fresh, his black hair smoothly shining, and every button properly buttoned. Now about this girl, he began, and stopped when Lizette appeared in the archway. Oh, Miss Carter. Poppy sent me, sister, said Lizette. I know more about this than she does. Of course, dear, sit here. She patted the settee, but Lizette dropped into the nearest chair. The sister clasped her hands on the scrapbook in her lap. If the tight, quick way in which the girl began answering Wakeley's questions was any indication, she was very near the breaking point. How sinful was my neglect, Sister Simon thought as she listened. I should have had a talk with her today. This tension is my fault. Yet, with the development of the story, another reason for the tension became evident. The girls, Evie in particular, had been very certain that Lizette herself was in danger. Because the man, whoever killed Danny Greer, might think I saw him on the waterfront and I could identify him. But I can't. I didn't see anyone suspicious. Lizette's voice shook to a whisper. Her hands were so tightly clenched that the knuckles were white. And Jenny said she would do anything for me. And then this call came, and I know it's what sent her out, wherever she's gone. And he's done something to her. That's why she hasn't come back. She can't. Wakeley took out his pencil. Did anyone else know about the call? The girl who answered the phone, Tony Burke, she just got out of the shower, so she called Jenny. I was asleep. He wrote the name on a folded paper. You can't just write things, Lizette cried. Don't you understand? He'll kill her if you don't find her right away. We're looking for her already, Miss Carter, but it might help us if we knew why she went off. I've told you why. She's protecting me. Possibly so. Well, we'll know when to find her. Wakeley shoved the folded paper into his pocket and made a movement to rise. Officer, Sister Simon said, for it was now or never. Officer, 
Have you looked into Danny's past at all? Of course, sister. And what did you learn? She had a very routine life, clerked in a store in Beechwood Falls for eighteen years. Some friends, nothing out of the ordinary. But farther back than that? She grew up here in the Narrows, went to school, the usual thing. Do you know about the accident, two accidents, really, that placed Diane in her care? The girl herself mentioned them. It's more important than a mention. Sister Simon tapped the picture of Niagara Falls on the cover of the scrapbook. Sister Joseph, she was mother then, kept clippings from the local papers. There's something here, I'm sure of it. You may be right, sister. There's always a high road and a low road to the solution of every case. I could dig into the past and probably in the course of time come up with something, but it would be a long process. In the first place, I'd have to hunt up everybody connected with Danny Greer. How long ago was it? Twenty years? And they're scattered to the winds, maybe even dead. That's the long road. The shortcut is to find out who followed Danny up here from the waterfront. Somebody saw him, somewhere. The suitcase and purse are somewhere, too. So... Wakeley spread his hands, palm up. Find the suitcase or the purse, or a witness who can give us a clue or two, and there we are. Or find out where Jenny went, Lizette added. That would be the shortest cut of all. It's a possibility, Miss Carter, nothing more. The chief made another movement to rise. Please. Sister Simon was faintly surprised at the urgency of her own exclamation, a surprise she saw reflected in Wakeley's pause. Yes, sister? She felt her cheeks growing warm. Why should she hesitate to put her theory before him? Hadn't she heard tales of the detection of crime from her father in place of bedtime stories ever since she could remember? He might knock her idea into a cocked hat, but... Will you listen just a minute, please? She begged. It's all in my head, so I can tell you quickly. Jim MacArthur was Diane's father, the one who was killed in the hunting accident. And the same night, Jim's younger brother, Steve, vanished. Steve had been with the hunting party. If you have all the clippings, sister, you know what happened to him. Seven or eight years later, some geologist out on a scouting expedition found his skeleton in the ravine. So if there's any suspicion attached to Steve, that's where it ended. But the other tragedy, Diane's mother, Elizabeth, burned to death, and only three weeks later. In a fire that swept in from the woods, half the countryside was aflame that fall, one of the worst years in history for forest fires. No, sister. Wakeley got to his feet this time. No, it was just one of those things. The only connection with Danny Greer was that the double tragedy landed the baby in her lap. Danny was in the convent at the time. She left to care for Diane. Too bad. He said it casually. The emotional conflict involved in such a decision was beyond his ken. If he had a thought at all, it would probably be that with Danny's departure, Mother would have been short of help to scrub the floors. A rush of explanation flooded to Sister Simon's tongue. But what good would it do to try to explain to a non-believer at one o'clock in the morning? The chief said good night and took himself off. Over in the corner, Lizette got up, ready to fly away. Lizette. Yes, sister. The nun rose and walked across the room to face the girl. Lizette remained looking down the hall, as if something of great importance had caught her attention. But there was no heart, really, to her stiffness. She's ashamed, the sister thought, ashamed and obstinate and terribly hurt. Her eyes were red from crying. 
Jenny was her friend. Lizette, I was reading St. Augustine tonight, about duty. He says, In doing what we ought, we deserve no praise, because it is our duty. And the reverse is also true. In doing what we ought, we deserve no blame. Think about it, dear. Lizette pressed her lips tight together, but she was not being stubborn now. She was trying hard not to break down. The nun went on evenly, addressing the urn out of which the ivy grew. I believe the chief is wrong. It seems to me the real shortcut is through this. She tapped the scrapbook, which she held in her folded arms. If we could find out why, then surely we would know who. There must be a link somewhere. As she spoke, something teased her memory, perhaps the name she had skipped over in her reading. Frowning in concentration, she sat down and opened the book. She scanned the first of the clippings, which was the bare report of the shooting accident. Nothing there. But at the end of the second article, the names of the other hunters were given. Her fingers stopped under the last. For goodness sake! What is it, sister? Henry Waddy. He was one of the hunters. Henry Waddy? The girl dropped down beside the nun. Sister, he must have been a good friend of Danny's. Ted told me the poor old guy was absolutely knocked out when he saw her on the stretcher. Do you think, sister, what do you think? I am thinking how blessed it is that the barrier between us has fallen, the nun might have said, but she shook her head. I am not thinking anything yet, Lizette, but couldn't it be that he's our link? Oh, but he wouldn't kill her. He might know who did. He couldn't be mixed up in murder. He's so gentle and so cute. And so worried. We were at the mortuary tonight, Sister Joseph and I, and Mr. Waddy was... not frightened. Heartsick, that's the right word. Sick right to the heart. And do you think it was about Danny? I have no way of knowing. I'd soon find out if I could talk to him. Only how could I? I can talk to him, Sister. Of course you can. Sister Simon responded almost automatically. But you don't send young girls chasing after possible clues to murder. You call up the policeman, the policeman who already has said he will not delve into the past. We're talking foolishness, dear, the nun said, closing the book. This is definitely no business of ours. We've made it our business because we both feel guilty about not helping Danny. Before the sister could gather her nice assortment of facts concerning duty, Lizette hurried on. Whether we admit it or not, it's true and the only way we'll get to feel better is to do something. And it would be so easy, sister. The girl laid her hand on the sister's arm. My boyfriend, Ted Benedict, is Waddy's nightman, and I can stop by and ask for him. He'll find a casual way to talk to Mr. Waddy. There'd be nothing to it, sister. Well, when can you go? As soon as I'm off duty. Ted said he'd be over at seven. He'll go back with me. Make it a little earlier, then and catch him before he leaves. I'll come and help Poppy for that last half-hour. Oh, thank you, sister. Now tell me what to ask Mr. Waddy. All about the accidents, both of them, who went on the hunting trip, exactly how Jim MacArthur was shot, everything he knows about the fire, and about Steve. I don't see where Steve comes in, Lizette said. Anyway, not after they found his bones. Not after they found his bones. The little phrase hung in her mind as Sister Simon went back to the convent. Steve was dead. The geologist couldn't have run across his bones unless he was dead. Steve belonged to the past. 
In the present there was a more immediate concern, knowing that Mother Richard would never allow even the slightest participation in a murder investigation. Was she begging the question of obedience by sending Lizette to talk with Henry Waddy? St. Augustine, it seemed, had the answer. She had read it this evening. Let the superior be obeyed like a mother, with all due honor, so that you offend not God through offending her. But how could Mother be offended through a short, friendly conversation she would never hear about? For that was all it would amount to. Kind, benign Mr. Waddy would assure Lizette that the stories were exactly as stated in the clippings, two regrettable accidents, and Chief Wakeley would go straight along his high road to the solution of the mystery. Lizette herself would know the satisfaction of having done something for Danny Greer, and Sister Simon would share the satisfaction. Sighing deeply, she closed the cloister door behind her. In four hours the rising bell would ring. The only thought she would carry to bed with her was the reassuring one that the chip had fallen from Lizette's shoulder. End of chapter 10